In order to spend more holiday time with family and friends, this week the funny people are rerunning an episode from last year. They will return next week with a whole new episode. These are the funniest people I know. These are the funniest people I know. Said improv ripping, callers and sketches, characters and interviews, and then some more sketches. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest people you know. Now these are the funniest. These are the funniest. These are the funniest. These are the funniest. Hello, world. Welcome to the Funniest People I Know podcast and radio show. I'm George Kaloris, and here with me today are my very funny co-hosts, Alexandria Sweat. How's it going, Alex? You know, it has been like crazy busy, but I'm here, and that is what matters. (laughs) Well, I am glad you are here, too. And also on the line is Abigail Williams. How are you, Abigail? Doing good, George. How are you? I'm having a pretty good day. Thank you. Okay. TJ is out this week, but joining us as a special guest is a good friend of mine, the funniest chef I know, Hans Rufert. How's it going, Hans? I am doing well. I'm pleased to be the understudy of TJ today. (laughs) No, you're possibly going to be the replacement, (laughs) just depending on how well this goes. (laughs) Well, I've been playing the role of TJ, so I'll back off of that just a tad. That escalated quickly, yes. (laughs) It did. I apologize. You know, TJ is still a regular, guys. Your city was dead a few weeks ago, so who's worse? Hans was on the first season of Next Food Network Star. He's an accomplished chef, a producer, an author of an excellent cookbook called Eat Like There's No Tomorrow. He's a gardener and a source of never-ending dad jokes. That's one of the best things about being a dad is you get to test out all of this just terrible comedic stuff. You put it out in quantity over quality. And I learned from my father that a well-landed dad joke has no laugh (laughs) attached. It has groans and eye rolls. That's what I'm going for pretty much all the time. (laughs) I love it. Nice. How frequently are you getting eye rolls? How often does that happen? It is daily. I have three children, a 20, 17, and a six-year-old. And so I have to kind of do broad spectrum dad jokes, right? It has to be everything from the Mr. Bean style, goofy animated style comedy, all the way up to the intellectual word pun kind of things. And I help out with George at his restaurant. (laughs) And so we get to torment between his jokes and my dad jokes. The entire crew there have no idea what hit them any day. It's fun for us. And that's really all that matters. Do they get any sort of workers comp for that, George? I'm traumatized. I'm going to need bad an extra dad jokes this week. <laughs> Honestly, one of my more proud moments every week, and it's usually on weekends, is I will say some ridiculous punny dad joke, and George will first roll his eyes, and then I'll see him just suppress <laughs> that laugh, and finally he'll kind of chuckle. You know, it's like couldn't hold it a second it. longer. So those to me, that's a well-landed dad joke. I'm really biased against puns, yes. and most people can't make me crack a a laugh with a pun, but you manage every once in a while, and I hate to admit it. I learned that, so my father didn't speak a word of English when he came to the U.S., and you have a similar experience with that, George. So we're furners, as they say around here. We're half Americans. But, so my dad learning English in the South, wordplay was so much fun for him. So words like on purpose, he learned the word porpoise first. (laughs) When people say, you did that on purpose, he was thinking, what does that have to do with a porpoise? And so those kind of slight misunderstandings have become the basis of my humor, but also spoonerisms. And, you know, spoonerism things are like where bunny rabbit becomes runny babbit, where you take 
the sound of one word and you misplace it with the second word. Flip flop it. Exactly. So that can turn very dangerous very fast. My father, when I taught him the concept of spoonerisms, he was saying, oh, like popcorn. And popcorn becomes cop porn. <laughs> then, of course, we were trying to find the worst spoonerisms. And I had a, a young man working at the restaurant and explained spoonerisms to him. The first one he came up to was, uh, he goes, oh, you mean like bunt cake? Oh, I'm not going to translate Please that do. one. <laughs> but anyways, that's my kind Actually, of don't. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You just got it. <laughs> wow. Slow, slow on the uptake over here. That's literally my least favorite word in the world. <laughs> but bunt cake is a lovely thing. Everyone loves a bunt cake. <laughs> agreed agreed on all counts <laughs> any workers comp for that one george yeah there's dad humor insurance it's a premium hans what's the funniest thing that happened to you this week i was in a grocery store and uh, i overheard someone saying that they had this idea in their mind and i started thinking that is the best place to have ideas it didn't crack them up but it cracked me up because now every time somebody says something really redundant like i had this good idea in my mind and i wanted to say like as opposed to your armpit so all week i've been cracking myself up every time i hear somebody say something randomly specific that has no bearing on the story so that's uh, weird uh, observational humor but i get a laugh out of it the big news in georgia this week was the state turning blue for biden for the first time in 28 years i actually distinctly remember the 92 election when clinton won i was in the seventh grade and when i first started paying attention to politics and i remember voting for him in the school election what do you mean you voted for him <laughs> our school had a little election i was one of the little kids that voted for bill clinton but george bush won by a landslide I was also quite shunned for my decision at 12. Were you? Even among yeah, yeah. the seventh graders, George Bush? Yeah, yeah. In the whole school, George Bush swept the school. It was a very small minority. You were living in Georgia, right? Yes. That was in the blue county of Gwinnett County, yes. Georgia. Pew, 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 pew. That was big for folks like me who grew up in the state. That's a big change, and it was a huge surprise. I was not expecting that. I was not either. I, it genuinely was a shock when they kept saying red, red, red. And then you start to see all these ballots coming in. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is really making history over and over again with this. We've seen history being made. But that was a really big surprise. I agree thoroughly and pleasantly surprised that in 2020, we were able to turn Georgia blue. Being the humble person I am, I like to take all the credit as being an out-of-towner who has moved to the lovely state of Georgia and helped to build those numbers of blue support. Yeah, right. Stacey Abrams who? She had nothing to do with registering over 800,000 and working with coalitions. It's not those people. It's me and other transplants like me. When the state turned blue, that's what I kept thinking about was that seventh grade election. Before that, I remember as a kid, I thought Ronald McDonald was president. Really? I didn't understand the difference between Ronald Reagan and Ronald McDonald. And so I thought the McDonald's guy was our president. Well, he may as well be. You've never seen the two in the same room at the same time. There is a theory that Ronald Reagan was Ronald McDonald, right? It's just makeup and a wig. So it could be. <laughs> Very true. Oh, my God. <laughs> that might have to become our next conspiracy. Yeah. I am all in on this. I'm researching it now. I'm believing that this is it. Man, we don't need another conspiracy theory. But you know what? I'll go for it. Abigail, I'm going to turn it over to you because my outline just says Abigail has a mysterious game. In honor of Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday, 
I thought we should play a Thanksgiving themed game. I think this is the game for you, Hans. It's where you have to be quick on your feet. And I feel like already that is you. This is basically a playoff of the alphabet games. You get four seconds to name something within the theme that starts with the next alphabet letter. For example, let's say that our theme was best podcast host of all time. Everybody has to say a name with the first letter of the alphabet and then go in order from there. For example, it might go Alexandria, Bagail Williams, co-host George, DJ. Our theme is going to be a Thanksgiving Day feast in honor of the fact that you are a chef. Do you feel okay about it? Well, but I don't know the alphabet. Really? <laughs> okay, well, then we should go on to the next minute. <laughs> no, 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 we're good. That was the only flaw in your plan, but otherwise I think it's pretty good. That was it. Uh, you know, I didn't anticipate that, but I like a good curveball. <laughs> the category is Thanksgiving Day Feast. Everybody has to name something that starts with the letter of the alphabet, starting with A. So I will go first. And it has to be food? We could do dessert. We could do vegetable. You could do drink, <laughs> cocktail, whatever says Thanksgiving to you. Okay. Have a great time. Oh, this is about to get very savage. Okay, I will go first, then Alex, then Hans, then George. Are you ready? I'm ready. Apple pie. Biscuits. Cranberry sauce. Dinosaur. My favorite. Egg salad. Um, French toast. Gravy. Ham. Uh, it. Yeah, Jane's going to clean this up for you. So it doesn't sound like you don't know the word ice cream. I still can't think of anything that starts with an I. He just spoon fed it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Big an ice cold spoonful. Iced tea. Jam. Uh, knishes. Lamb. Meat. Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> Oprah on the television. <laughs> Pot pie. Quail. Quail eggs. Rest. S. Um, slumber. Why are we going into sleeping words now? That's throwing me off. True. If you have tryptophan, it makes you sleepy. <laughs> Depends on whose family you're at. Uh, tea. Oh, wait, tea. Tea. I'll go with tea. <laughs> if you can't say turkey for tea, you lose automatically. <laughs> I'm sticking with tea. You. Uncomfortable conversations. Bill. Wienerschnitzel, which starts with a W. Xylophone for entertainment. I love xylophone Thanksgiving tunes. Those are my favorite. <laughs> okay. Why? I'm going to get a little exotic here and say yak jerk. Wow. <laughs> and for Z, zealous foods aplenty. Zealous food? What is zealous food? <laughs> zealous foods aplenty. That is the name. Yeah, that's the name of the catering company that brought in the food. The zealous foods aplenty. I use them all I the really time. I really hope that they get a spot on your new podcast. They're a sponsor. Oh, great. I appreciate the You're plug welcome. there for zealous foods aplenty. <laughs> yeah, they only deliver inside the perimeter. Oh, though. man. Right. So watch <laughs> out. All right. Well, that concludes our game. Perfect. That was everything I hoped it would be and more. Thank you guys for making my Thanksgiving day complete. I want to take a minute with our guest Hans here. I met Hans about a year ago and I've really gotten to know him over the past few months when he started helping with the restaurant I own up in Jasper called the Old Mule House. Shameless plug. 
Hans is also a gastric cancer survivor. He's often called the chef without a stomach. And over the past decade plus has become an advocate for the Gastric Cancer Foundation, where he hosts a cooking show, a web series called The Gesundheit Kitchen. Working with Hans is a lot of fun, and he's a great source of knowledge and random facts. Next year, he's going to be launching a podcast called But I Digest, where he's going to explore some food history. I thought we'd have you come here today and talk to us about some food history, Hans. My pleasure, but I feel like I have to qualify something. Because when you say he's known as the chef with no stomach, there are probably people that don't think that could be a real thing. I actually don't have a stomach. Not by choice. It was removed from me in 2005 because of gastric cancer. I don't have a stomach. The number one question I get asked is, well, how do you eat? To which I usually respond with a knife and fork, unless it's soup, in which case I'll use a spoon. I didn't know you could survive without a stomach until I was diagnosed with gastric cancer. They literally removed my stomach. So when I eat, my food simply goes into my intestines. Not to be too graphic on a family show. This isn't a family show. I can eat, but I have to be very mindful of what I eat and how I eat and quantity and quality. And George mentioned I had a cookbook called Eat Like There's No Tomorrow, where my focus really went from quantity of food to quality of food. So that's sort of my shtick. But growing up in a restaurant, the Woodbridge Inn in Jasper, I was always surrounded by weird food history. And there's so many misconceptions that we have about food or why we eat what we eat or where it came from with some of my foodie friends, some of which are quote unquote famous from the Food Network. We love talking about these strange histories of food. I love it. One of my friends named Michael Thomas, who was on the next Food Network Star with me, and I are going to do a podcast diving into this weird random food history. Because food is so much more than the ingredients. Sometimes the meal is about who you're sitting across from or where it came from or your family's tradition. So that's the kind of stuff we want to explore in this zealous food plenty that we're doing. I love it. I'm going to get a tattoo now. You need to hurry up and copyright that. We'll talk offline. We'll we'll work something out. (laughs) I thought we would talk just for a second about croissants, because if I were to say where croissants from, the automatic answer is? Frost. What was that? Frost? (laughs) You mean the croissant from Frost? The croissant, yeah. (laughs) You guys don't like my French accent? That's odd. I never get that. Usually that's what I'm cast as. I feel like I got a little spittle on me across the internet when you said that. You would think that it came from Paris, when in fact, it is from Austria. What I think is fascinating, the Austrians were at war with the Turks, Turkey being obviously in the Thanksgiving realm here, but not the bird. They weren't at war with the bird. They were at war with the country that was full of those birds. No, they were at war with the country, Turkey. Everyone is like, I had no idea Turkey had so many turkeys. (laughs) Where do you think it got its name? No, but Austria was at war with Turkey. And there's a long, elaborate history (laughs) to this, but the essence of it is, is that at the end of that, where the Austrians were victorious, they baked a crescent moon because the Turkish flag would have the crescent moon on there. And that every morning they would break the crescent moon as sort of a zealous middle finger, if you will. So (laughs) every morning they were basically saying, you know, to the Turks, and that became a celebration of that victory. Well, there was a baker's strike in Paris and... The Parisians needed their morning pastry, and so they hired Viennese or Austrian bakers to come in, and what they were making at the time were croissants. So it's a very quintessentially Parisian thing, but only because the Austrians defeated the Turks. And that kind of stuff, absolutely That is fascinating. Wow. Imagine a whole country being like, this is how I'm going to bake my bread in a crescent to say, 
screw you guys. That's crazy. I love that. Little steps of defiance every day. That's amazing. That's the kind of stuff that we're going to explore on the podcast, But I Digest. The name was actually meant to be a placeholder between Michael and I. We were just like, oh, But I Digest. We kept using it and everybody kept saying, oh my God, that's the perfect name. So now we're sort of stuck with it, but that's okay. We'll live up to the name. I kind of like the zealous name though, that we've been talking about. I'm rethinking the name of the podcast now. Yeah, I can't imagine any other name being better. I thought that while we had a chef on the show, some of our listeners might be listening while they're cooking their Thanksgiving dinner. So I have some questions here for you about things that might go wrong with your Thanksgiving dinner. So are you prepared to answer some questions? I can absolutely try. Okay. The first question is from a woman who says, I won a turkey at a casino and it thawed in my lap while I rode the bus home. Can I still eat it? <laughs> Listen, if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me that question, <laughs> I would have a nickel. <laughs> it thawed in her lap. At the casino or on the bus? What was the scenario? On the bus ride home from the casino, the turkey thawed in her lap. Do we know her normal body temperature? I'm going to have to guess 98.6. It was in her lap, towards her knees, or towards her belt? <laughs> really, Hans? <laughs> Going back to my food safety class, if the bird is still less than 120 degrees somewhere in there, I would still do it. If it smells like a casino, I wouldn't even begin. If it smells bad, don't cook it. When in doubt, throw it out. I'm distracted <laughs> by the scenario that created this turkey being given away as a prize at a casino. What game? Is it roulette? <laughs> Is it blackjack? How do you get a turkey at a casino? Maybe she lost. Was she lost, you get the turkey. <laughs> I would say if you cook it thoroughly, I would go ahead and cook it through to a good 180 degrees. And then... If you don't like your in-laws, you would have them try it. And if they <laughs> seem to be okay, then you can try it. On the subject of food safety, we had another question. I found a turkey from 1989 in my father's freezer. Any tips on the best way to cook a 30-year-old turkey? Wow. <laughs> that turkey is old enough to vote. That turkey might have been one of the fraudulent votes. <laughs> I think you would have to defrost it. And once you defrost it, if it still looks something like a turkey, I would try to cook it. But if you ever got something out of your freezer that has thawed and then refrozen and thawed and refrozen, and it looks like a cheap pinata, I would actually hang it and use it like a pinata. That would be great for the kids. While they're waiting on the real Thanksgiving turkey, right. you can just take a bamboo stick and go to town on that turkey. That turkey is me. I was born in 1989. <laughs> just fill it with stuffing. <laughs> oh yeah, giblets. From age four to age 17, I lived directly above the restaurant and my sister and I had to do all sorts of odd jobs and sometimes in our pajamas. We'd be ready for bed and my dad would yell upstairs, oh, we're getting stuck. I need you to shuck oysters. So I'd be shucking oysters in my pajamas. When we got the whole turkeys or whole chickens, they would come with those little bags of livers or gizzards or pinata favors or whatever they were. And one of my jobs was to take those and separate them. And my dad being so cheap, he would save Cool Whip bowls and those plastic tubs that aren't meant to be reused. And I would separate the livers and the gizzard and the whatnot. 1989 is a little beyond my time doing that, but that could have been one of my turkeys that escaped. I put that one back in the freezer. Next question. How do I roast my turkey so it gets golden brown tan lines in the shape of a bikini? I actually saw the meme going around with that. <laughs> First, I questioned the how did they do it? And then I questioned the why did they do it? And then I questioned who had so much time <laughs> that they thought this is the way to go. Right. My first thought was in every small town in Georgia, there's going to be an out of business video rental place that has turned into a tanning place. 
I think there is a market to be had because there's a whole bunch of those tanning beds in rural Georgia. You could make a business of pre-tanning turkeys for folks, right? Agree. We'll do that work for you in those UV light tanning beds. And those weird little half egg shaped things that you put on your eyes while you're in the tanning booth seems like the right sort of bikini size for a turkey. So they already have that equipment. (laughs) So if I had to come up with a brilliant 2020 business idea, that would be mine is turning old tanning salons into turkey bikini tan line shops. Turkey tanners. I love it. There used to be a rotisserie chicken place in the Atlanta area called <laughs> Tanners. They were just ahead of their time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Turkey tanners. Write it down. We better get the rights to that, too, before that catches on. All right. Last question, Hans. Is a pie that may have dead moths in it safe to eat? Is it an icebox pie or is it a cooked through pie? I have a question before you answer that. Why are there moths <laughs> in the pie? An excellent question. Yeah, I think it's safe to assume moths are in everything. Just like I'm sure you've seen that statistic that a jar of peanut butter is allowed to have X amount of bug parts in it. I've heard that about coffee. Coffee beans are allowed to have bugs in them, right? Because it's an agricultural product and most agricultural products are growing in and around insects and insect poop and all things insect. So I think it would be sort of naive to believe that we could have food that wasn't somehow violated by an insect at some point or visited by an insect at some point. You didn't notice it when you were measuring out (laughs) those ingredients. Oh, there's dead moths in here. I'll just use a different can of pumpkin. Again, it depends on the pie. If it's a pumpkin pie, you'd see it. If it's a pecan pie, there could be 60 moths in there and I would know it. (laughs) (laughs) No, you have to be making this pie in your grandma's closet or something. Moths don't just come around of all the bugs I see in nature. I don't see moths. (laughs) I think unless you are baking this pie on your front porch in the dead of night in the south with all the lights flipped on, I don't see how that happened. Or if you had a sole candle burning next to the pie in a dark kitchen, all the moss would go straight towards that pie. Yes, baking by candlelight outside. I suppose I could see how it would happen. It's a thing. It's a thing. (laughs) Perhaps the most shocking bit is the ask of should you serve it? If you want to eat it, you do it. But you want to serve this and call yourself a host? If you spend (laughs) hours making a pie and a moth were to somehow happen across it, I think after, say, four hours working on the pie, I would do that plus and minus columns of, I spent four hours, blood, sweat, tears on this pie. Am I going to let 0.05% moth ruin the 99.5% pie? So it becomes a benefit analysis sort of a ratio. I think we should open that to the group. I would eat 5% moth. Good question. I don't think I would eat it. I would just cut it out and then eat the pie. That's kind of the person I am. There's mold on cheese. Cut it off. Yeah, cut it off. I think it would be disrespectful to not eat the pie. Right. She was outside just working her little butt off last night. I'm Mm going to eat this I'm disrespectful then. Zero percent over here for me. (laughs) Mm -mm. Just the thought. I can't do it. I can't do it. No percent. What about just as a garnish? Like if we have one moth on top of the whipped cream just to give a little texture, a little flair. Oh my God. I'm like flipping tables. I see this causing a lot of emotional distress. 
Oh my gosh. It wasn't even until I moved down to Georgia that I was okay living in such close proximity with bugs. We don't (laughs) do a lot of insects in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm sure you do. Kentucky is still the South. What are you talking about? The landscape is different. It is tropical down here. It is Rio de Janeiro. It is rainforest (laughs) conditions down here in Atlanta, Georgia. And this is wildlife for me. So no, we can't garnish with the bug. I literally just returned a salad because it had a gnat on a piece of lettuce. And I got my money back from this restaurant because I was like, no. Here's an ethical question, though. As a restaurateur, did you blame the restaurant for that? Or is that just rogue Nat? Like, do you blame the, the Nat, Nat for that? was probably being disrespectful and not where it was supposed to be. Disrespectful Nats. That's another name. I knew something. it wasn't the I restaurant's fault, but I also was like, I cannot eat this salad <laughs> restaurant. And I need your emotional support right now because I'm disgusted. If they had made you a brand new, nat-free, 100% natural, sorry, <laughs> would you have eaten that one as a proper exchange for your emotional distress or you needed they to have the cash back? offered the money back, end up ordering another salad, and it was nat-free. Yes. So it was a wash. I'm asking for a friend in case this scenario happens. <laughs> How would you feel about a restaurant that markets itself? Our salads are 100% nat-free. You definitely have me as a patron. That is what I'm looking for. I need to be on the front page of your website, and I'm definitely <laughs> going to the restaurant. Like, There's so many problems in the food industry, and that's the line. We are 100% nat-free. <laughs> that's like my six-year-old saying, I did not eat the chocolate cake. And I'm like, we weren't even talking about chocolate cake. Right now I'm suspicious. <laughs> If you started with 100% gnat-free and nobody's talking about gnats, my first thought would be like, oh, hell, there's gnats in there. Well, Hans, I appreciate you answering these burning questions. I think it created more questions than answers, honestly, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) it was fun. Abigail and I are working on a live sketch show for 2021 in hopes people can get back into theaters again. And so in the spirit of giving thanks, I wanted to bring this sketch in for the writer's workshop. And this sketch is a family, Elaine, Joey, and Grandma, having dinner at Free Pie Wednesday at O'Charlie's. Hans, you will be Sam, the server. Abigail, would you play Grandma? Yes. My, like, elderly grandma or cool grandma? Sassy, judgmental grandma. Oh, boy. Is that a type? (laughs) Oh, I like it. Okay, great. I'm there. Alex, you'll be Elaine. And I'll read for Joey. And we're in O'Charlie's. Hey, folks, your food will be right out. Is there anything I can get you while you wait? Well, I wouldn't mind that sweet tea I asked you for. Oh, sweet tea, sweet tea. Right. I'll get right on that. So, Grandma, with any luck, the internship at CNN I have will lead to a job next year when I graduate. Well, Joey, Grandma loves you no matter what you do, even if it is a career in the fake news media. I'll make sure to say extra prayers for you again this week. Thanks, Grandma. See, I told you I were her favorite. She doesn't mean that the way you think she does. And dinner is served. Excuse me, you seem to have forgotten my ketchup And I'm still waiting on that sweet tea. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'll be right back with that. Mmm. Well, this salad looks delicious. Aren't we going to say grace first? 
rub dub dub thanks for the grub. Yeah, man. Joseph. No kidding, mother. Um, <clears throat> why don't you go ahead and lead us in prayer? Here, Joey, take grandma's hand. <sighs> Lord, thank you for this food which we are about to receive. And thank you for this precious time we get to spend with family. It's so rare these days with everyone apparently being so busy all the time even though it seems like they have plenty of time for their TikToks and Netflixes. Thank you, Mother. That's lovely. And Lord, thank you for giving Elaine the willpower to order a salad instead of the cheeseburger we all know she really wanted. She knows gluttony is a sin, Lord, but she struggles, especially around chocolate cake. Forgive her, Father, for constantly failing in this battle with temptation. Sam returns with the ketchup and notices they are praying. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll be right back. Join us. You feel like family. <laughs> I've only known you for like 15 minutes. Grandma takes Sam's ketchup holding hand. Dear Lord, thank you for this restaurant, even though the health score is an 83. Please keep us safe from foodborne illnesses. Of course, you work in mysterious ways, so if you want us to be poisoned by a chain restaurant, then I guess thy will be done. Okay, uh, well... And Lord, we thank you today for bringing this lovely server into our lives. Now, what's your name again? Uh, it's Sam. Lord, thank you for Sam and the hard work he's putting into this job. Give him the guidance he needs to find a path out of this dead-end job to a more fulfilling career so his parents won't be ashamed. Well, actually, my mom is uh, quite proud of me. Lord, we pray that you heal Sam's mother of her dementia. And please help Sam remember the sweet tea I requested over five minutes ago. <laughs> Sam drops the ketchup and walks off. Okay, let's eat. In fact, Lord, I pray that you give each of us wisdom and light our paths. As the psalm says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto and my path. And amen. Lord, please light the path of little Joey here so he doesn't grow up to be a burden on this family like his father. Give him the guidance to make something out of himself so he doesn't keep spending all his time locked in the bathroom doing wicked things to himself. Of course, I'm not asking for a miracle, but maybe lead him to a nice middle management position or a lucky scratch-off ticket. This we pray in your name. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Here's your sweet tea. Oh, well, thank you, Jesus. It's a <laughs> miracle. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, George. Man. So this was inspired by actual events. I recently was helping run some food at the restaurant, and I ran a hamburger out to a table, and they were all holding their hands in prayer. And I quietly tiptoed back into the kitchen backwards, and I sat there and looked out the little kitchen window waiting for them to finish. And then at one point I saw them all laughing and I was like, oh, OK, they're laughing. The prayer is over. I went back out with the hamburger and no, they were still praying. They just told God a joke. <laughs> I got to be honest, George, this is my thing. <laughs> this is not abnormal to me. Not the judginess, but the holding hands and praying. That is so real. Bringing home dates was particularly tricky when it came to this. And my date would sit next to my father who would extend his hand out. And my date would be like, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? I have a question because as a guy who spent every Sunday of my life working in a restaurant, so I was always that guy nervously backing away from these hand-holding <laughs> prayers. 
I always <laughs> felt if the Lord provideth and he does so in this sort of bounty, is it not a little rude of us to ask him to bless it for the nourishment of our body? That's sort of implying you didn't make the food healthy the first time. It just seems a little passive aggressive to me to now ask him to convert the food now, which wasn't nutritious 30 seconds ago, but you're asking him to as if he hasn't have <laughs> other things to do. If I were him, I would be like, I already did that. That was step one is I made the food for you the way that your body needs it. And now you're asking me to change it, do it differently. I'm 100% with you, Hans. For me, this type of prayer is not one that I tend to ask because I tend to order garbage when I'm out. And so I already know no prayer in the world is going to make this nutritious to my body. I suppose I could ask for a miracle, but it's unlikely. Good point. You're like, yeah. God, please look away from yeah. this Whopper gotcha. Junior I'm about to consume. Right. I mean, <laughs> and please, Lord, removeth thy moths from my salad. <laughs> right, right. Those prayers, I guess, make sense. But yeah, I'm with you, Hans, 100. That was not a prayer I tend to pray. It was more... Thank you, God, for this day. Thanks for the food. Thanks for my wonderful family. I'm in. Was that good? Yeah. That was kind of yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it former guest Lily Naz who told us as long as we eat our food with joy, it's all good, whatever we eat. Maybe God knows there's a sense of joy that comes from it. What if the answer to making it more nutritious is putting more moths in it? Joyful moths? I would do it. <laughs> Joyful Moths. Another great band name. I love it. The Joyful Moths. <laughs> I hope that at some point post-quarantine, we can all gather around a table, hold hands, sprinkle moths on our pizza, and ask God to rearrange the molecular structure of our food so that we can digest it more appropriately, even for a dude with no stomach. I'm in. Amen. Amen. Good. I like it. <laughs> I don't know if I would like moth pizza, but I'll hang out with y'all. There's always got to be one. <laughs> I'm a strong believer that there's no such thing as happiness without gratitude. And that's, I think, what makes exactly. Thanksgiving so special. It gives you an opportunity every year to reflect and consider your blessings. 2020 has been a tough year, but I think it's still important that we try to find some gratitude. So I thought that we should, before we close the episode, go around and just share our gratitudes for 2020. I love it. Hans, you're our guest. Would you like to begin? For 2020, I am grateful for the Karens and Carls of the world who graciously point out everything that I've done wrong throughout the course of the day so that when I do achieve something correct, I can feel that much more proud about my actions. Yes, thank you, Karen. Alexandria? This may surprise you, but I wanted to thank President Donald Trump for being such a source of entertainment by pretending that the election was stolen. And I have thoroughly enjoyed the confusion and chaos and mayhem yes, that so has good. come. And mm. I am entertained. And the fly that landed on Mike Pence's head. Thank you. In light of being home and exercising in the home, which means hardly at all, I would just like to say thank you, Spanx, for simultaneously sending me the message that I'm beautiful just the way that I am, but only actually if I purchase your product and get it all tucked in. You are all that is right with COVID in America. That's brilliant. I love it. I'm also very thankful for the fly on Mike Pence's head <laughs> that made my year. That might have been a moss. Well, I'm thankful for COVID lockdown alleviating traffic this year. <laughs> 
Typically, I spend several hours every week sitting in slow-moving Atlanta traffic, but ever since the world fell apart, my commute's been awesome. I can just get in my car at five o'clock and go somewhere. There's nowhere to go, but I can. And that's nice. <laughs> and I'm also- You can go nowhere in record time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm right. also thankful for the murder hornets because they were that extra terrible thing that could happen so that no matter what happened, you can at least say, well, I didn't get killed by a murder hornet. It's like the moth garnish on your piece of pumpkin pie. <laughs> This has been another episode of The Funniest People I Know. Thank you so much to Chef Hans Rufert for joining us. My pleasure. Yes, Hans, thank you. Thank I had you a great time. Hans. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Hans. You can watch Hans cook and the Gesundheit Kitchen at gastriccancer.org or taste his food at the Old Mule House in historic downtown Jasper, Georgia. That is shameless log rolling. <laughs> Free ad spot there. We record the show for the Georgia Radio Reading Service. Thank you to the amazing Jane Boynton, who edits the show. If you enjoy the show, please like, review, subscribe, share it with a friend. We're available on every service, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Podcast. You can email us at funniestpeopleiknow at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at funniestpeopleiknow. Have a hilarious week. See you later. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. <laughs>